Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm going to be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right. Don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple podcast as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Hi, this is Ruben off this cheek. This is William. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. Hey, Chelsea fans, real quick, this one ran long. Might surprise you, hanging out with Uncle Chidge. Uh, so we cut it into two parts. This one you will hear will be part one. Uh, be on the look for part two coming out soon. We are sure you're going to enjoy it. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast, quarantine edition, correct, Nick, as we're still in lockdown. Minnesota officially shelter in place orders from the governor as of Saturday. So two weeks, stay at home. Uh, we're we're on a, we started on Tuesday and we're we're in for a month, so... It's uh yeah, it's been really, really interesting. It's been a crazy time. Our goal this entire quarantine period, Dan, is to still produce uh, as much content as we as we are accustomed to in the hopes that we provide some sort of entertainment for our fellow listeners and, and fans. Well, you know, it's also about having a little bit of human connection because when you don't go to the office anymore, when you're spending the majority of your time at home, it's really nice just to get on and talk about the absolute lack of football and get excited for what could happen when it does come back eventually, hopefully at some point when Liverpool is not awarded a title. What in the hell? That'd be random. Well, anyways, (laughs) all of you do know if you've seen the social media promotions that we're going to do a little mailbag time. All of the questions from you, our listeners, and we had to bring in Uncle Chidge, Stanford Chidge, back to the pod to hang out with us because... You guys are in a bit of a lockdown over there too, aren't you, Chidge? Some would say that we should be in lockdown all the time, Brandon. <laughs> but maybe that's maybe that's just me that they we want lockdown. But uh, 
Yeah. Um, you know, it's it, we are living in very uncertain and worrying times, and it's uh, very much the same over here. Uh, you know, I mean, you can argue a lot about whether they could have done something beforehand or not, but they're certainly doing something now. So like you guys, I mean, we've been pretty much, I mean, kind of officially locked down for about a week, but some of us have been, you know, being quite judicious about going outside for at least a couple of weeks. But we got to stay safe. No, that's awesome. Well, uh, we appreciate you quarantining with us uh, to answer some questions. Uh, obviously, you guys have uh, an exciting milestone episode coming up. And related to that is one of our listeners that we share, Patrick, the best PML on Twitter, asked, does Chidge realize how many Chelsea supporters he's had an impact on all over the world? <laughs> he's a humble guy, but hugely impactful. Obviously, you've had quite an impact on the three of us over here because you know our origin story as you being the an inspiration. Father. Yeah. So, I mean, any idea? Throw Care to throw a number out? Wow. I mean, God. No, is, is, is the short answer. I mean, obviously, I paid Patrick to write that. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course. As he, as he well knows. But no, I mean, it's really lo- it's very lovely of him to say. And I mean, look... Uh, you know, we started doing the show in 2008, just before, I think, funnily enough, I think it was just before the uh, semi-final against Liverpool in the European Cup. Uh, and then we went to Moscow a little bit after that. And we did it because, you know, like you guys, you know, well, maybe, no, it was a little bit different from you guys. I, I do know that. But, you know, we'd be going to the games. I I, I was making TV programs. I, I, I was fed up with being told by idiots who didn't understand football how to make football programs. So it was for me, it was a way of getting back control. And I knew I'd get no argument from the mates that I was going to do a show with. And it just started from that. It was just really just to carry on the pub chat, you know, and share it with a few people. So we did it really as much for us as we did for anybody else. If anybody wanted to listen, that was fine. But I am aware, I mean, you know, over 12 years now, Christ, I must be insane. <laughs> 12 years. You get, you get less for murder in this country. Um, but, you know, che- over those... Chelsea is a bit of a life sentence, eh? It is a bit, isn't it? But, I mean, over those years, I, I've been so privileged to meet, let alone hear from so many people around the world who, who both listen to and love the show. And, and every week we get loads of emails in from people saying how much it means to them and how it helps them keep, you know, keep connected to Chelsea or just gives them a window if they've not been there into what it's like to be there and you know it's special to hear that and and i tell you it's it really i mean you know patrick's very sweet and he said i'm a humble guy but it it's truly humbling when you when you absolutely understand what the what you do this silly thing that we do actually really means something to people and i totally get what you were saying earlier on brandon i mean you know we had a decision to make like you did you know i mean for us it's easy to talk about you know, to, to do a two-hour show with no football to talk about because we talk bollocks all the time anyway. <laughs> but, you know, I, I was very adamant. I said, look, you know, we've got to carry this on because people need to, you know, we've created a community and at a time when people are in isolation, they need to feel more connected. And if we can all play some small part in doing that, then we should be truly proud of our efforts. But no, I, I am genuinely humbled. And yeah, I am aware that we have made an impact, but I, I couldn't tell you you know, the extent of that impact. I really couldn't, but I'm I, I'm aware and, and very humbled by it. Obviously, I think you'll probably get a lot of tweets, rightly so, after that, um, and deservedly so. But yes, uh, it's always nice to to kick it off with a little bit of gratitude and appreciation, Chidge, so you've Indeed. earned it. 
Um, in this one today, we're going to be covering everything, literally everything. It's a mailbag special. And that means questions are from all over the spectrum, from our thoughts on potential chancers to favorite pre-match food and even some recommendations for quarantine entertainment. Uh, obviously, for those of you that aren't here live, this is our first live show, so we do have a few people in the chat watching as this goes on. We're testing that out. Uh, maybe taking a page out of the old FanCast playbook, right, Chidge, with your mix <laughs> The madness of Mixela. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I can't remember if you guys have ever ever done that listen live thing in there, but it, it's insane. It's, it's great. They carry on. It, it's irrelevant what we say. They're all talking amongst <laughs> themselves. And I, and I love watching. I kind of see it like you got on the, the chat thing on, on the Zoom here. I, I just yep. see this constant stream of comments. And it's it's just brilliant. I love it. Yep. So appreciate you leading the way on that. And uh, we actually read. Or actually, you know what? I didn't read it, Dan. Let's be honest. You read it. So I'm going <laughs> to let you read this statement so I'm not just falsely testifying to something. I clearly don't know what's going on. Well, it's not a legal proceeding, Brandon. I don't think anybody's going to take you to the mat for it. It's uh, recorded no, just, now, all right? I well, can't be used against me. <laughs> um, no, we just read that you know worldwide listenership is down for things like podcasts and you know, I think we, you know, I mean, I, I know personally, and Nick and I and you have talked about this, and I'm sure it's the same for Chidge if he listens to any other podcasts. But I mean, you know, our routines are different. We're not commuting. You know, many, many of the places or times of days of the week when we will be doing so, we're not doing it. So, you know, I think for us, it's understanding. Uh, we'd love to kind of hear if, you know, if your routine is changing, if you want one longer show per week, if you want many smaller shows throughout the week, like let us know how we can kind of package and put out the content in a way that will make it super digestible for you so that as we kind of move forward through these kind of uncertain times that we're trying to, as Chidge so eloquently said earlier, uh, potentially providing a little bit of great normalcy for you during uh, what is a you know rough period. Yeah, and, and part of the way that we were thinking about doing that and we're testing right now is just this, the feature of Zoom and, and getting people in to kind of watch the show live. If if you have Sunday mornings available and, and want to potentially do that, you know, we, we understand how video chats become like a huge part of people connecting and seeing each other face to face. And, you know, to be able to, to look at Chidge in his recording studio right now is, is helping me out. So, uh, if you're interested in doing some of that, then we will, uh, we'll try and put out notices further ahead, uh, next time, but wanted to do a quick test today. So, Thank you to Will Fuller, Hope Orr, Draw Sam, Honoré Kumquat, Janique, and Kyle for uh, for being a part of this one. And Dan and Chidge and Brandon. No, for not those show. guys. Okay, right, got <laughs> it. I think that was no, a fuck good those guys. <laughs> I'd, li I'd like to very quickly say hello to Janique because there can't be too many people called Janique, and I know she listens to us too. So hello, oh, Janique. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we have probably about a hundred percent crossover <laughs> in this in this room right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, Nick, do you want to talk about our GoFundMe and our uh, and us trying to uh, give back to those in need during this weird time? I'm going to pass to Dan on that one, and then I will take the next point as I wrote the next point. Well, okay. So this is, again, live radio. Um, anyway, uh, you know, we, we were kind of looking for ways that we could give back during what, again, is a, a tough period. And, you know, we found uh, Feeding America and their COVID-19 response fund is trying to help make sure that communities and families where they're kind of being challenged just to even put food in their bellies right now can be the call can be answered. And so uh, we are matching up to a thousand dollars of donations that are made to 
Feeding America. We also have an amazing listener who has volunteered $1,000 of his own money to match it too. So every $1 you donate to Feeding America is actually going to become $3. And every $1 that they have is 10 meals. So that essentially every $1 that you donate is 30 meals for people in this uh, time of need. And obviously there's a, a lot of charity work going on right now. There's a lot of fundraising going on right now. And If you've kind of given as much as you can to other charities, don't worry about it. But uh, we're just trying to do our part there. So thank you to uh, Vignesh, uh, Krishan, uh, Janique, and Drew who have already kind of thrown in a little bit of money there that we've been able to match. And uh, hopefully, again, uh, we'll share out the link via social. So uh, if you need to find it, but it's just on GoFundMe. It's uh, L-I-B-P Gives Back Feeding America. should be easy to find it that way, too. And then just a quick next point. Um, right now, and I'm sure it's the same in the UK, Trage, like small businesses are, are really suffering if they're not able to be open due to restrictions or lockdowns or isolation. So uh, we have supported some smaller businesses on this show and, and have done some giveaways and things with, with a company like Talisman, who is, is a small shop just making some really awesome gear. Brandon and I are both wearing hats right now from them. Um, so if you're able to support small businesses, whether it's online or whether they're doing, you know, things like takeout meals or whatever, we can't encourage it enough. I mean, these guys are going to be hit the most hard on the other side of this. And we, you know, I think the most that we can do to support them during the crisis will, will hopefully help them come out the other side a little easier. So if you're able to go to talisman and and buy a hat and support them, um, uh, you know, among other small businesses in your life. I think that's a, a really great way to spend money. All right, that is true. Uh, but let us go ahead and jump in here, kind of get right into whatever this is going to be, because it's going <laughs> to be a wild ride, I can promise you that. Uh, first one, which I think is pretty interesting, is is how should the season end? So obviously there's, what, nine matches left in the season, uh, depending on how many, you know, some have 10 or 8, 9, 10, whatever. Um Anyways, a report from Football.London, which I can only assume is an exclusive from Chidge, claims that the Premier League <laughs> not, clubs... Not guilty, BB, not guilty. <laughs> uh, Football.London claims that the Premier League clubs had a phone call on Saturday with the English FA and Football League, and a loose agreement is in place to play all games from July behind closed doors if the coronavirus pandemic doesn't deteriorate further. Uh, per the report, a conference call between the three governing bodies and the government on Saturday, the plan was reached to complete the season in July with games to take place behind closed doors over a period of four to six weeks unless the situation worsens in the UK. Uh, you know, Chidge, we've ran through a lot of scenarios, uh, suspending it, finishing it. We know there's a potential huge fee from the broadcasters if the matches aren't finished. Um, I, I mean, you know what it's like over there better than all of us. What, <laughs> what do you think is going to be the most likely way this thing all ends? Man, if, if I had the answer to that, I'd be a very rich man. But I think that that's the trouble. Nobody bloody knows. I mean, it's my, my theory on it, boys, is that I mean, I, 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 you know, doing the breakfast show for Love Sport this morning, you know, we, we talked about this a lot. And there's an article that came out with Seferin, who's the head of UEFA, uh, you know, opining on the fact they've got a plan A, a, B and C, but they might have to, you know, cancel this season in order to preserve next season. But they had a really interesting table up there of, of all of the European leagues and all of the English leagues. All of the European leagues, uh, say that they're going to come back. Well, they don't. They've postponed the season indefinitely. 
none of them have set a timetable. The only leagues to do that are in the UK. So the Premier League, they're setting a date of the April the 30th. It's rubbish. They cannot possibly know when we will be ready to return. The only reason they're doing it, I think, is because they're trying to stave off the financial and legal liability of avoiding the season. Because the minute they do that, they're going to have the, the broadcasters coming after the Premier League. And the Premier League, you know, the, the organisation of the Premier League is basically the 20 Premier League clubs all working together. It's not some kind of extraneous body. It is them. So, that you know, all the broadcasters are, come up, are going to come after them for failure to deliver their product. Season ticket holders are going to come after them for failing to, you know, uh, fulfil, uh, you know, the, the money that we paid for that. So they're trying to stave off this financial and legal liability because the reality is, until the governments decree that it is safe enough for, you know, 40,000 people to go to Stamford Bridge, they cannot and dare not take that risk of putting it on. I think the most likely uh, option is, is is pretty much what, what they've been saying, which is come July, they may be in a position to play these games behind closed doors, make it a TV event that keeps the broadcasters happy. And quite possibly, you know, cram in a lot of games in a short space of time so they can at least have a pretty much on-the-nose on the start to the next season. But again, that isn't straightforward because, you know, you still, you know, it's not just going to be 22 players in that stadium. It's going to be all of the coaching staff. There will need to be other staff there to mm-hmm. open up the stadium. There will need I mean, all, the, all the broadcast crews. I mean, if you've ever been on a live broadcast event, that's 20, 30 people. So you could have maybe 100, 150 people at a behind closed doors football match. And if the coronavirus pandemic is still very much around, I cannot see how that can happen. And then there's the other thing, which is even if you test the players, you can't guarantee that they're not carrying the virus. So, you know, I, I think that's possibly the most likely outcome that they'll do that. They'll do it behind closed doors and make it a TV event. But I still don't think there's any guarantees until really... There is so little risk uh, about the the coronavirus that it makes it able you know, makes them able to do that. Yeah, I mean, I was I was reading Dan. I, I think the important point that, that Chidge was talking about is is around testing, right? Like, not only do you have to test for the virus, I think the the other kind of test, and again, not a doctor, so you know, I'm not I'm not pretending to play one on TV. Really. Here, but, yeah, I know. It surprises a bunch of people. Um, no, we don't have lawyers or doctors on this podcast. I am shocked and awed. <laughs> shocked. Um, but, but I've played uh, one on TV. O- <laughs> the other kind of test that, that I've, I've read about and that I've been kind of reading up on is the antibody test, i.e., have you had the virus and kicked it? And are you basically, um, and, and this is from Dr. Fauci, who's kind of our leading expert in the States on uh, on, on this virus. He says... If this virus acts like any other virus, the odds of someone picking it up multiple times is relatively low. Um, so the antibody test would then change, um, be able to see if someone has had it and passed it on, you know, or, or gotten rid of it, and that they're kind of a low risk for for getting it again. So like, there are ways to kind of um, kind of bracket that uh, risk, but again, it's not perfect, and right. it's it's certainly a kind of at, at this current like panic time seems like a really odd thing to undertake. I mean, I, when I talked about this this morning on, on the radio, uh, you know, few few mates were listening in, one of whom I know, you know, she, she works in the health, <clears throat> the health service. And she said, uh, any test merely proves that an organism 
wasn't isolated at the time of testing. A player could have been infected since the time of testing. Will they have quicker testing and test before they go on the pitch? All sounds dodgy. I mean, therein lies the problem, I think. So it's not, whatever happens, it's not going to be easy to solve this at all. Well, and again, like Brandon, really quick. So let's pretend they have like a 15 minute test. Like I've heard they've developed one that that can readily verify that you, you have it. If one player out of the entire mm. system has it, I mean, the whole thing has to kind of go up in smoke again. So it's, it. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm just kind of looking at that and saying, like, it seems awful well, tenuous. There was the point that Joe made and Joe Tweeds in our last set of episodes around the whole concept of the player safety, too, where we think about the long-term impact to a player where if they get this condition and you know where we might you know not be in the situation where if our lungs are at 90 percent capacity for the rest of our lives or 85 percent of our capacity for the rest of our lives where we're in the you know, situation where we can't live day to day for a professional athlete whose body is the way that they make money and the thing that needs to be in tip-top shape for them to go to 80% of maximum kind of maybe capacity there or operation function, Brandon, like that's a huge deal. So, I mean, I get that the league is going to push forward. I'm more concerned or thinking about what are the players potentially going to do and how will they force this? Cause I think that's going to be where it's not going to be the fans. It's not going to be the league. I think it's going to be the players who are going to ultimately determine what ends up happening. I think. Well, they're the only ones that, you know, are going to care for themselves, obviously, because, you know, they were the first ones to essentially stop working before the normal workforce. And, you know, now we're trying to force them back before the others. You know, I my only point I want to make is that we're, what, two, three weeks on from a month on from when this, you know, discussion started. We're nowhere closer. All we know is that Euros have been pushed back. Olympics have been pushed back. Uh, the Champions League final, they're still trying to squeeze that in. Uh, all we know is that the Premier League said that they've suspended the season indefinitely so that it can be finished at some point. Um, we're still in very much in, at a point of influx, and we're not making any progress globally. Poor Italy. I think they've had over 10,000 deaths. When do you think Serie A is going to come back? They have Champions League spots. Right? right again everything is connected just because we can potentially crown liverpool as the league champion that solution doesn't work in spain where it's a tight race it'll probably work in france with psg you know but italy spain germany it's all a tight race right now so again almost every country will have to adopt a different solution and then again the legalities and things and pro rel and all that stuff so i'm just baffled that you know we're still no no closer to to coming up with a solution, and that's because we're no closer to getting over the hump of this this you know infectious disease. Oh, the the end the end point is a vaccine, and we're another nine to twelve months away from having a vaccine. I mean that that's the only, that's that's the bottom line. I mean, there's no other way to uh, to guard against this thing in the future if you don't have a vaccine. And that's if it doesn't mutate which we already know it is. There are already <laughs> yeah. two strains of this thing, apparently, last I heard. Yeah. So, so, you know, I mean, I, I remember three, two or three weeks ago delving into this that exactly as, as Nick was saying, I mean, you know, we, we, we could be in this position that we're in right now for another year, easily. You know, it's just nuts. And, and as I said, I think the only reason why the Premier League are 
are procrastinating uh, is because they're trying to stave off any financial and legal liability. I think it, it, really, it really, you know, what do they say, boys? Always follow the money. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I mean, look, another year of Zoom video chats with Chidge. It could be worse. That's all I'm saying. It could be worse. Well, here's a question. <laughs> what, will, what will we be talking about if we're still doing it like this in a year's time? We'll be having our own darts tournaments probably yeah. or something like that. I mean, yeah. there's... Virtual pub, a, maybe. Yeah. Virtual pub. Now yeah. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> charge, charge a an virtual pub fee. and uh, <laughs> kicking up uh, rolls of toilet paper to see how many keepy uppies we can. No, get. you can't do that. It's like gold dust toilet paper over here, Dan. You <laughs> I know. know. I saw someone got teepeed actually the other day. I couldn't believe it. At a time like this, what a waste. All right, Chelsea fans, we're going to take a real quick break. Thank you to these sponsors financially supporting the show. When we get back, we have a lot more for you. Here we go. All right, next topic. Do we even need Jaden Sancho? And what is a Jaden Sancho? Let's be honest, guys. What even is a Jaden Sancho? The Borussia Dortmund CEO coming out today, actually, and saying, I'm open to it. If he wants to leave, he can leave. But it ain't going to be cheap. So Millhouse putting in the discord we have all seen the sancho rumors going around but do we really need him when we already have calum hudson odoi pulisic ziek personally i love him but i don't think we need him as much as we need a left back in a second number nine so i don't know i mean dan you know obviously i think we we feel pretty confident that chelsea have a concrete interest in the player um but to that point, we, we've we kind of already reinforced up there a little bit. Pedro is going, isn't going. We're, we're not really sure what the rumor mill is on that one since there's confusing reports. But uh, Jaden Sancho, easily $120 million. Sure. Well, the, the challenge is, is when you... When you want to go get Wagyu beef, like it's expensive for a reason. When you want to go get a Jaden Sancho, you know, Jaden Sancho, for those who don't know, is a player of professional football for Borussia Dortmund who's a English uh, international player. And, made of 100% uh, someone... Wagyu beef is, is what he is. Because <laughs> he's a prime cut of player. And okay. uh, he is right. uh, 17 goals, 19 assists uh, across all competitions this season. Uh, about uh, 2,800 minutes played. He's, he's an exceptional winger. I think we would be lucky to add someone of his caliber and talent. He would be expensive, but... If you have not listened to it, go back to our Joe Tweeds pod and talk about how do we afford it. And it's uh, really easy when you start getting rid of the the Zappacostas, the Bakayokos, and others to actually you know, take on this individual and be able to kind of pay him an appropriate wage. And look, you know, William won't be there. Pedro won't be there. And so even though you have uh, Zayek, even though you have Pulisic, even though you have Calum Hudson-Odoi, you know, you're, you're not going to roll out to an entire Premier League season or whatever that Premier League season looks like with just three wingers, Nick. It's just not feasible. So, yeah, James Hedge would be great if we can afford him. If we can afford him and he wants to come here, sign him up. Yeah, our, our needs are not mutually exclusive. We need all of these players. We need to be better. I mean, I, I think three weeks ago when we were – or a month ago when we were looking at the Bayern Munich game – uh, we realized how far behind we were in, in kind of the pecking order of the Champions League. And so you need to add quality across the board. Adding a Jaden Sancho doesn't mean that we still don't need a, ver- a bona fide number nine. And it doesn't mean that we certainly need a left back. And it doesn't mean that a goalkeeper in a center half and all these types of players change are still uh, on the board. Plus, if you look at our uh, just ridiculous, terrible luck with injuries this year, you need to have position stacked so you can, you know, potentially rest players, which I know is a new concept. 
Shark? Yeah, I think this is all... <clears throat> I mean, look, like I said, I think before we went on air, I think we, we are really at a ground zero, you know, or a year zero, should I say, Pol Pot year zero moment. I think everything everything that... Yeah, get your black pyjamas on, folks, because it's, it's arrived. But uh, <laughs> the reality is, is that things are not going to be the same as we have enjoyed and experience the Premier League going forward because so much money will have gone out of the game. You know, the economy around the world is, is, is tanking as we speak. You know, it's absolute fantasy, I think, to think that clubs will be able to go and spend 120 million on, on players that they want. I think it's fantasy that they can rely on. I mean, I don't know, it's worth checking out actually, but I, I, I'm not sure when the... Uh, this uh, current uh, broadcast rights round will finish. But that's presuming, of course, the broadcasters are able to still honour it because they won't have any money. Um, we won't see broadcast deals of the magnitude that we've seen them in the past again, I don't believe. I think basically what I'm saying, to cut this very short, is I think you'll find that the Premier League and the football bubble financially may well have burst because of this coronavirus. And I think there's going to be a massive reset a massive reset. Uh, and I don't think you're going to see 100, 150 million transfers going forward because I just don't think the money will be there. Totally reasonable. I mean, you're right. We have to figure out what, what it's going to be like. How about this? I think people will be a lot more cautious, understandably, coming out of this because we don't know what to expect um, versus maybe the everything was going really well so we can splash a lot of cash and we know we can make it up on the other side of sponsorships and and things like that. So, uh, yeah, you know, big time transfers might be much tougher, which is a good thing. We have a strong link to Cobham in the yeah. in the youth teams. Very much so. How about the stadium redevelopment, Chidge? Mm. We're shutting it down, huh? We're gonna wait and and do it again, maybe once we figure out what the hell's going on in the world. Well, you know, this is kind of fascinating and bizarre in in equal measure. Um, as you know, the club released a statement yesterday, but it was a statement saying absolutely nothing. Correct. Um, <laughs> and I, and I, but it's classic Chelsea Football Club PR management. You know, I wrote an article last week for Football London questioning whether it'll ever go ahead, questioning whether it, we need it to go ahead. A lot of this to do with the, 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 the way the economy might well go. So if I'm talking about it and writing about it, you bet your ass a lot of other people are and I think the club were very mindful of the fact that you know because the planning permission deadline lapses on the 31st of March they needed to say something at least just to shut people up conjecturizing or whatever the word might mm -hmm. be and that's really what they've done but for me the most critical element of that statement which I've actually got it here because I've got a printed out Matt Law's article Matt now Matt Law as we all know is kind of and he won't like me for saying this but he's basically de facto an extension of Chelsea's PR team. If Matt mm -hmm. Law says it, you know that somebody in the club has definitely spoken to him. Mm -hmm. um, and he's a good journalist. I'm not, not knocking him by saying that at all. But the statement reads, we're grateful to all our fans and stakeholders, especially Hammersmith and Fulham Council, for their patience and understanding in the matter. We will continue to consider our options for a new stadium should economic conditions improve. And that, those last four words, I think, spell the death knell for uh, the Stamford Bridge redevelopment in the, you know, Cathedral of Football guys that Roman really wanted. Um, you know, they, they first kind of put a pause on it a couple of years ago because 
investment conditions were unfavorable. In other words, the cost had gone from 500 million to a billion and Raymond didn't want to put his hand in his pocket for more than he had to. So wanted external uh, investment. Of course, with the CPO owning the ground, that becomes very difficult. It's a bit like you want to go and buy a house, right? And you have to spend 100 grand on it. Uh, and you think you're buying it from, you know, Nick thinks he's buying it from Brandon, only to find out that actually Dan has a, a permanent right of tenure on it. So, you know, you have no uh, leverage on that property. So you're not going to invest your 100 grand in a property where you don't really own it effectively. And I think that was the investment issue there, as well as the economic issues because of Brexit. I think now with the coronavirus and the economy tanking, it's going to be even more arguably foolhardy to not only spend a billion pounds on a new stadium, but to uproot the entire fan base for four years, which I know for a fact the club were very loath to do because, you know, they know that 50% of the current, uh, you know, number of people you get in the stadium every week would probably not have gone to Wembley. They would have said, well, sod that. So, I, you know, I just cannot, I cannot see it happening in its current guise. Nearly everybody I know and go to the games with wants Stamford Bridge to still be our home. I think the leverage that the CPO has on it will pretty much ensure that, if possible. Uh, I suspect that there are people at the club, high up in the club, who can see the economic sense of, number one, spending maybe half a billion on a new stadium somewhere else, preferably near Stamford Bridge, but of course there are very few locations available. And secondly, they they see the need, in order to remain being a, a European football powerhouse, of having a 60,000-seater stadium. But again, in the new economic order, post-pandemic, you know, the whole rules have changed again. You know, it's not about chasing the money like it has been. It could be, it could be a period of absolute retrenchment. And that's pretty much what I said in the article. And I, I think, you know, whilst it might be very sad, and yes, while it might make us financially vulnerable because we don't have a 60,000-seater stadium like all the big clubs in the world do. I mean, we are way down the pecking order in the Premier League, let alone Europe, for, for stadium capacity. But, you know, put it this way. I would rather be Chelsea with a full 42,000-seater stadium every week in an economy that's tanked than Spurs with a 60,000-seater stadium and, a, I don't know, 800 million overdraft, effectively. Well, you'll end up seeing the cut race rate ticket prices where they have to figure out how do they fill the stadium yeah. and try to make money another way, which is, you know, you, you see that in Major League Baseball here in the U.S. quite frequently, where there's only a handful of teams that actually can get close to even filling a stadium on a regular basis. That's that's the challenge. I mean, I'm sure, you know, the Royals now, Nick, don't really fill the stadium relative to the way that, you know, Boston or New York can and, or you know, the Astros. And so they're stuck in a situation where they have revenue share, which is not necessarily the way that works in the Premier League. And the Astros had to do it by cheating, just for what it's worth. Yeah. <laughs> no, the, it's a, a, the a asterisk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so what I would what I would say on this, and actually, I saw you know, I think Chidge, everyone's trying to to kind of dream up a scenario where Chelsea can both stay in in Stamford Bridge, do construction during the off season, and end up with a sixty thousand seater stadium, which. Uh, after talking to multiple people over the years, just is not feasible uh, whatsoever. Um, is there any reason why they couldn't or shouldn't 
just renovate as is and try and figure out how to add more seats into the current setup or is that just not feasible at all it's just such you know a misnomer i mean every i hear this all the time oh just knock down the bates motel and build a big one-tier stand in the shed end increase the capacity by another ten thousand. you know yeah it'd be great you know we could absolutely renovate uh the stadium but the the thing is right now we are at capacity for footfall for access and egress so we are the club are not permitted to allow more people to enter and leave that ground for for health and safety reasons. Okay, there are other issues too, like the the, the raking for the east stand. You couldn't build a stand like that anymore because it would be illegal because of the it's too steep. Uh, th- these are the reasons why the redevelopment was going to be so expensive because they had to build you know down rather than up. Mm-hmm. There's also another weird bylaw which says they can't build. They can't interfere with the view from Richmond Hill, which is in uh, southwest London, about kind of four miles away from Stamford Bridge, to St. Paul's Cathedral. You know, so they can't build higher. I mean, there, there are so many restrictions with that ground. It's almost impossible, I think, to be able to increase the capacity and be able to get away with those restrictions. There's only one way, as far as I see it, that they could do that. And and I mean, again, this is just a nightmare. One of the one of the ways they were going to do that originally was to build over the railway that goes uh, past the East Stand, so that you get um, egress to the north, which would be going up towards West Brompton Tube, plus the walkway round to Fulham Broadway Tube. That that was really hard because, of course, the railway insisted that they carry on while the building works happen, which made it even more costly. But you know, maybe long term. That is the solution, is that you you enable a higher capacity at the ground, maybe by knocking a stand down and building a bigger one, uh, and then covering the uh, the railway ground and, and allowing access and egress from the north. Maybe you do that rather than spending a billion on a completely new stadium. But there are still issues. That that east stand is a relic. You know, yeah. it, it, it's, it's, it's outlived its capacity. So, you know, there are so many problems with it. There really are. Well, and like you said, I, with this massive economic turmoil right now, we might have dodged a bullet. Spurs, so. to no fault of their own, might have made a terrible decision. And again, not their fault. Everything was great. You know, they, well, is it the first terrible decision they've made? No, but I mean, this could be a <laughs> massive one. Uh, first of all, shout out to Frederick, who asked this question originally. Um, and I, I guess I just... You know, I know, Chidge, this could be a, a very long answer in itself, but if you could kind of summarize it, would you be okay if Chelsea moved grounds as long as it was close to where Stanford Bridge is now? Uh, kind of like Arsenal did when they left Highbury and they went to the Emirates. Well, that's a tricky one. I mean, basically, I would much rather stay where we are, but that's quite a selfish personal view it's where i've always gone to see my football it's where i like to go and see my football i happen to like the ground um even though let's be honest the only thing that exists from the ground that i first went to is the east stand i mean every other bit of it is new so you know that's a bit of an emotional attachment i think if i was thinking in a clear-headed non-personal way i would say my golden rule for a new stadium would be that it has to be you know, you're low, I mean, we would be able to walk to the ground from the cock, for example, that we could still drink in the same pubs, because for me, that's very much part of the match day experience. But, but Brennan, it isn't going to happen. The Earl's Court option doesn't exist. People think that 
that uh, because Capita, the uh, the development company, pulled out of the redevelopment there, or it's 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 I don't know something's gone wrong with it that it be, suddenly will just be able to go and buy it. I don't think that that option exists. There are no locations in the immediate vicinity of Stamford Bridge for us to go and build a new kind of you know Lego kit stadium which fits sixty thousand people in it. I think the nearest option really would be in West London near QPR, you know, the old old Oak Common Ground near the prison, believe it or not. And that's an absolute shithole. That's so not Chelsea. It's not true. You know, I just don't think there are options there. And I, I just think that given the economic climate, it might be that we've dodged a bullet, as you said. And also maybe, it, you know, I, I, the, the tenant of the article that I wrote wasn't really factoring in the pandemic too much, but it was along the lines of, you know, maybe if we we didn't spend half a billion or a billion on, on a new stadium and everything that that entailed, we might be able to put that money into the squad. Because even if we weren't getting, because we're not going to actually make a huge amount of money back by, you know, building a new stadium and increasing it to 60,000. It's a bit of a misnomer. We make more money out of TV revenue and commercial revenue. And we make more money out of TV revenue and commercial revenue because we're successful on the pitch. So why don't you spend that money investing to the playing staff so that we remain successful on the pitch and have a really little tight little ground with a great atmosphere, not a great big soulless, you know, bowl like a Wembley light. That was my point. Maybe that'll happen. Well, um, well, you know, kind of just tying it in lastly with the um, kind of economic side of it. Interesting one from Tony Landero, 75, Nick. Could a salary cap ever work in the EPL? Would it be impossible for Chelsea to compete financially with clubs without a new stadium? Obviously, I think we're, to Chich's point, no. I think we could still compete with the same Stanford Bridge, but a salary cap. Let's assume it's Europe too, right? Because I think that if Europe doesn't do it, we're we're dead in the water. Yeah, and and I think for for those who are not familiar with the salary cap, um, it's kind of what levels the playing field in a lot of American pro sports. So the NFL, the NBA, um, all kind of have this this imaginary number that they have to fit their operating expenses within. And if you go over that number, there is this thing called a luxury tax, which is a uh, just a really expensive way to get fined for breaking the salary cap. So it, I, I don't know if it would ever work. I, I really like the European system of buying players on amortized uh, transfer fees and then paying wages because I think it's more straightforward and frankly is more um, capitalist than socialist. I think the salary cap is a little socialist and not not overly political. That's not what I'm saying on this. But if everyone has a level playing field, it's really just I think it limits the amount of movement between clubs because people don't want to be made fools of for trades or transfers or anything. So um, I don't know if it would work. I I would hope that we wouldn't have to get there. Uh, I think to answer your second question really quick, Chelsea's model right now is built on success. If we don't have success, then we're in real trouble. Um, And so the risk in kind of what we were just talking about is if you don't make the Champions League consistently or you don't occasionally win the Premier League or another trophy, uh, it, it's a huge risk on, on finances for the club. So, I, I, you know, I just I understand there are a ton of considerations and I, I'm not going to pretend to have the answers for them. But 
the risks are pretty immense the way that we're going about it right now. Well, I would say, so again, to Nick's point, I 100% agree, the idea of a salary cap doesn't work unless it's done across all of football because then you're putting potentially English or English clubs at a disadvantage relative to the rest of the field, which is not what you want to do. I mean, they're already doing that by you know losing out on leaving the EU and not being able to sign uh, younger players underneath some of the EU work laws that existed previously. So there's already a disadvantage that's going to pop up there in the next one to two seasons. Uh, then the other thing would, I think would you know, I would say to the point around being financially, I mean, actually a large part of it has been player sales. And that's how Chelsea has been able to buoy themselves against, you know, stadiums that have done a really good job about filling up, about uh, maybe deals that have been negotiated commercially by other clubs that are a little bit better. And I think that's where, you know, better commercial negotiation, uh, sales of some of these uh, younger players who maybe aren't going to be first teamers, aren't going to be squad players, but are going to be English, which is a premium in this market still, is how Chelsea, I think, will find a different path forward. And, and that's the thing. Like, you just have to commit to what your strategy is going to be and execute on the strategy. And I, I think Chelsea has a way forward that maybe is a little different than what we've seen previously. But I think in addition to that, the success point that you brought up, Nick, is is a big part of that too. Chidge, why I don't like it is that in America, you really don't get a player staying because contracts expire, seller caps move. So to go keep their wages, they have to go somewhere else, usually to a worse team. So you end up getting all of the best players spread out, which I can understand it adds some level of evenness, but it just seems like Chelsea, you know, like it would take away kind of the risk reward. It would take away the ability to, um, you know, long-term kind of peace. I just see like, you know, these players in the NBA, they get these max contracts and then their second best player when their contract runs out has to leave because he can't get as much money anymore. I don't know. To me, it's just I uh, maybe I'm spoiled. It's just easier when when Roman can just splash the cash when he wants. Can't anymore, Brandon. That's the thing. <clears throat> when was the last time we really did that? Well, can't In or what? won't. Well, that's a good question. Kappa, I think technically, won't won't <laughs> is the is the answer clearly, isn't it? But we've had a one in one out transfer policy even when we have splashed the cash, because you could quite rightly come back to me and say, ah, 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 but Kepa is the most expensive goalkeeper in the world. Yeah, but Kepa, the cost of Kepa was amortized by the sale of Courtois. So technically, Kepa only cost $35 million. But the reality is we've not been spending it to the extent that we did when Roman first came in since 2013-14. You know, so I think those days for Chelsea are, are gone anyway. Would a salary cap work? Uh, I don't think it would. Uh, because I don't, I mean, you know, just, just judging from what happened in the rugby premiership here, where they've imposed a salary cap because they know that escalating uh, wage costs would kill the game, which doesn't have the the financial foundations that, that football does. And, and what happens? Saracen cheated. You know, they basically were paying their players through other means, through kind of third-party businesses and all of this. So people will cheat. You know, Man City cheat with the FFP. So, of course, they'll cheat on <laughs> salary caps. So I just don't think it's workable. What I do think, though, again, I'll, I'll say it again, we're now at year zero. Things are going to change. You may find that in order to, to survive and sustain football in any shape or form that we're familiar with, that you may, you may get a European move to have a salary cap just to enable the game to survive in any shape that we've become accustomed to. But 
I mean, long term, I don't see it working. It's just the antithesis of football, and it always has been. In the 70s, Liverpool used to win the league, and then they would spend, they, they would break the British transfer record the next year by buying the, the most expensive player they could. So, you know, success always leads to people spending more money on players. So we don't think it's really that stream, Sorry, straightforward Tommy. of an idea. Totally get no. it. Hmm. All right. Hard pivot here, Nick. I'm just going to yes. tee you. Hard pivot to Nick. Yep. So, Chidge, the uh, the infamous We Are the Shed group uh, mm. passed along a question yesterday that is tailor-made for us and, and to have you on the show. So... Um, you know, everyone's operating in hypotheticals right now, and, and this will be a fun one. So you're going for a few beers with three Chelsea players, past or present, living or passed on. Who are they? Well, um, I've got drunk with Kerry Dixon. Got very, okay. drunk, very drunk with Kerry Dixon. <laughs> we, we, we ended up uh, in that kind of classic end of the evening being kicked out of the pub when the I love you man embrace <laughs> I've got drunk with Kerry I've got drunk with Jason Cundy and I've got drunk with Alan Hudson so it's kind of tempting to, to choose those three but I won't um I will choose uh three of the legendary drinkers of the legendary drinking side of the late 60s and the early 70s. See, I was hoping you know who they were because obviously we would have no idea. Well, okay. <laughs> the first one would be Tommy Baldwin, who I've interviewed. I don't, in fact, actually, if you haven't, I don't know if you've listened to it or not, but, you know, I interviewed him for the Chelsea special. I mean, he is just hilarious. It's the <laughs> best. It, honestly, it's the best £2.99 you'll ever spend. The guy's an absolute legend. He really is. But he was called the Sponge. And <laughs> it, there was a reason for that. His poor liver. Yeah, you know, yeah. and he, I talked to him about it, and his answer was that, well, I'm a Geordie, and, of course, we know how to drink up there. And he just says, I just had this uh, had, had this real talent for absorbing alcohol. So <laughs> I, would go, I would go out down the King's Road, late 60s, early 70s, with Tommy Baldwin, Peter Osgood, who... Uh, when I interviewed him shortly before he died, the, the two weren't related, I hasten to add. Um, he turned <laughs> up late and and, I, and in a bit of a fluster and a panic. And I said, well, look, can I get you a drink while well, you kind of, you know, just relax for 10 minutes? I, I bought him a glass of wine that must have been able to fit half a bottle of wine in. And he must have downed it in about five minutes. I had to get him another one before the interview. <laughs> Ozzy was a legendary drinker. And, and, and I loved So him and Ozzy and Tommy Baldwin. And I think the third one, would would again probably be Alan Hudson because he's great fun and and a great drinker as well. So the the key drinking element of the Kings of the Kings Roadside would do for me. Yeah, I think when you when you put your your three together along with yourself, the at least in my estimation, the the goal is to have an amazing night out, right? Yeah, um, a big headache and, and the next day. Exactly <laughs> to have to have fun and to have some different personalities. I, I picked Lampard, Drogba, and Ray Wilkins. Um, uh, Ray Wilkins, from a storytelling perspective, and some of the interviews he did, and we, obviously we listened to a lot of those uh, after he passed, but I think that would be a really, really interesting dynamic. Um, Dan, I almost picked Diego Costa just to get into some <laughs> shit housery, but, um, but I went with Lampard, Drogba, and Ray Wilkins. Well, uh, as we are reading in the chat here, Shane says anyone who picks Costa is a matchless. Uh, so, Masochist, yeah. <laughs> Masochist, yeah. Um, yeah, that would be interesting. I mean, if you've ever seen his Instagram stories, there's quite the, uh, quite the fireworks and ear flicking and other things that would happen on a night out with him. Uh, yeah, I think Lampard ends up in mine. I think Pat Nevin is someone I would want oh, to bring along shout. for 
stories and conversation. I thought um, it was about the drinking, Dan. Oh, I mean, if you're if you're going out for a night drinking, you know, you also want to have a good time, have some good stories. True. There's a point. The longer you talk, the longer you drink. True. <laughs> yeah. Very true. It's, it'd be a long night. Uh, now you know I, all the now good, know uh, good places for music, too. <laughs> the longer you talk, the more you drink. I've never never figured that out, Brandon. <laughs> Correlation is causation in this point. Oops. Um, I think maybe uh, round it out. I, you know, I haven't had a chance to speak to Bollock yet, but uh, yeah, he's someone I would, you know, one of my favorite players for Chelsea. So I would want to have a chance to chat with him too. So he just was on uh, Sky Sports talking about kind of his career, and he says when he left Bayern and came to Chelsea, it was Chelsea or United, and he came to Chelsea because he wanted to win the Champions League and felt United what didn't have a chance to win it back then. And then two years later, they went and won it. So, anyways, um, but I loved hearing it that he's like Chelsea had a. He came to Chelsea because he wanted to win Champions League. He knew that was the club's ambition over United. So, uh, good story. All right, my three. This is probably going to annoy you all, but I don't really care. Uh, goalkeeper, 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 big, big William Folk, right? Oh, yeah, there you <laughs> Hell go. Yeah, first ever goalkeeper, and obviously, as as Glanville's told us, larger than life in many ways. Uh, I bet he could throw a pint down. Peter Benetti, quite okay. obviously. And then Petr Cech. And if you didn't see that coming, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, <laughs> I would have a lot to talk to them about, but none of you would probably have any idea what we were talking about, and that's quite all right. We would be fine in our own corner <laughs> by so ourselves. So what do you do when the ball crosses over? How many steps do you take beforehand? It's better than that, Dan. You don't understand. You're on the outside looking in, man. Sorry. Uh, by the, you know... No, so I mean, I think again, very different eras, very different stories, uh, and then you know, everyone brings their own drinks, so we'd have literally a, a time machine of beverages as well. Yeah, the cat. I met Peter Bonetti. I sat sat in uh, one of the kind of I don't know strange rooms in the in the Copthorne Hotel, away from the bar, drinking with Jason Cundy and Kerry, having a massive argument about whether Frank Lampard would be a legend or not. So it kind of dates it because he wasn't a legend at the time, but he had the potential. And they were absolutely having it at each other. I thought they were going to come to blows because we were all quite drunk. And I and I was there with Dr. Mark because I'd invited him back uh, to be with the guys. And, and we, we were sat next to Peter Bonetti and we just talked to Peter Bonetti. And he was a very quiet, gentle man. He's a lovely man. And just one other quick, quick story. Because who, who mentioned Ray? Was it you, Nick? I did, Nick. Yep. Yeah, I, I worked with Ray throughout the 2006 World Cup. He was one of my kind of lead presenters on a, a whole series of TV shows I did uh, covering the World Cup. And I used to sit in a green room with Ray and watch uh, two, well, usually one or two matches before we went on air, just me and Ray. And I figured out very quickly what his favorite Italian wine was. And I'd get a couple of bottles of the uh, Montepulciano d'Abruzzo. And we would sit and have our meal, watching watching matches and drinking uh, steadily, drinking a bottle of red wine each, basically, and uh, talking football. And I tell you what, I that, that those those days drinking with him and talking football with him will live with me to the day I die. He was one of the nicest people I have ever met, an absolute gentleman. Seemed like a good storyteller. That I, I want you know, my night out. I want some good stories to be shared. I want to have I want to have a laugh, and I. I I value storytelling over many other things. So yeah, he's, he's making my list. 
All right, Chelsea fans, we're going to cut it off here. There is still a ton more to talk about with Chidge, Dan, and Nick, myself. Uh, be on the look. Again, parts will be coming out very soon. Hope you are enjoying this stuff. Let us know what you thought about everything we covered. And until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.